Auburn Observer Podcast, the free recap edition. But for the second week in a row, Painter, we have no game to recap. Hopefully this is going to be the last one of these. A double bye for your Tigers and for the Auburn Observer. That has not stopped you, Justin. I have taken full advantage of my time off. You have been a busy boy. Well, I mean, you got to give the people something. I mean, y'all are out here paying money. Um, some of you are, at least. Uh, <laughs> a lot of you are, I should say that paying money to, to, to read and hear what we got to say. And, you know, this is, uh, you got you to come up with something. Good thing that Auburn basketball is around the corner. We will get into a decent amount of Auburn basketball in this podcast as well as football. Um, so we got, we got a lot of different topics to hit on. This will kind of be uh, bouncing around a little bit. But we appreciate everybody listening here on a Monday. Um, you know, with the weird schedule, we decided to push this back a day, give it a little bit more room to breathe uh auburn film room up at auburnobserver.com you can check that out here on a on a monday morning is when we post it and we'll talk a little bit about more more about it in the show but right off the top auburn football is back in terms of returning to the practice field last time we had talked they had shut down um practices and and workouts and all that um due to a COVID-19 outbreak, nine players, three coaches. Auburn has not had a positive test in the past week, which is a good sign. The other good sign is they got back to the practice field on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Got to make up for some of that lost time there. Um, So, yeah, I think uh, Gus Malzahn said on Sunday night that they're going to be missing some players. They won't get into specifics on who and, like, um, what position. Exactly. Yeah, there's no really no reason to do that. I mean, it would be good to know for people who covered the team and be good to know for people, <laughs> fans who would like to know. But guess who else would like to know that? The University of Tennessee's football program. So, you know, they're going to keep that close to the vest. Um, but it sounds like they're going to be able to return some of the guys who had to sit out, um, you know, either due to contact tracing or maybe positives. I'm, I'm not fully aware of what what all goes in with what that. What was the final count that we were given? Uh, was it nine players you, and three coaches? Okay, so I mean, just I, I would still, you know, remind people that Auburn has been extremely good about this and that it just seems inevitable. In fact, I'm not confident that this won't rear rear its head again before the season is over. But let us hope that it won't be a problem. Well, I mean, you know, the state of Alabama this morning, I think uh, I saw still the highest seven day average of new cases yet. And remember we, <laughs> we've been doing this for quite some time now. The numbers uh, also lag a little bit. I'm no doctor. I won't pretend that I know that much about this stuff, but generally speaking, if they're trending that direction, it, every there's state, some potential for it to, to keep getting worse. So we'll see. I mean, I don't every you know. state in the country right now is a hot spot, like yep. a clearly defined hotspot. Uh, the, the CDC had to come up with a new definition to cool. what's going on in Wisconsin right now, specifically. Um, it's it's not looking good. And we had a high number of uh, games get postponed or canceled um, last weekend in college football, Auburn, Mississippi State being one of them. Um, there's already been games that have been postponed or canceled already for this Saturday. 
this mid, some of these midweek games that we're going to see, like in the MAC, have already been uh, affected by it. It's I think not Michigan and better. Indiana as states have had to put down some measures about schools and athletic programs. Yeah. Although I do believe that in a stunning twist of events that the college football players will still be playing for, can you believe it? Those sweet, sweet amateur boys are still going to be out there on the field pandemic or not be damned. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've that got was, money to make buddy. I mean, I think there was a Michigan player who tweeted out yesterday and he said, I'm happy that we're going to be able to play and we still have an opportunity to play, but you can't tell us that we're not employees at this point. And honestly, yeah. I mean, if they're having to make exceptions for you, like they're making exceptions for people who are getting paid to play football uh, in the NFL and you know other sports, kind of hard not to make that kind of make that comparison at least for well, my uh, favorite for argument athletes. against it is that they are low risk, and so it just doesn't matter that much. It is a very cool take uh, and one that you should definitely tweet at the player after he just reminds you that they are put into a special category. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, Auburn, Tennessee looks like they're on for this Saturday night. Uh, we'll be here in the- Hopefully Ferg, I want this on. one badly. I want this one real bad. I think among Auburn fans, you're probably not alone on that one painter. Um, although I have said, and we'll get to this in a moment, um, that South Carolina game, I think might end up being worse in hindsight for mm-hmm. Auburn than Tennessee in 2018 was still a big one. And Tennessee is scuffling right now. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, I, I think the big thing this week for Auburn is that if there's a, if there's any solace, if there's a silver lining of these two off weeks is that you got some of these guys rested up. Uh, they are expecting, um, Jamie and Sherwood to be back at practice on Tuesday. They are expecting, uh, Shedrick Jackson to be back at practice on Tuesday. Still no clearance yet for KJ Britt. They want to have him back by the end of the year, but he's he's not ready to go quite yet. Got to worry about that thumb. With, Very with selfish ligament. way of thinking about this because he has a lot on the line, you know, as someone who almost certainly has some type of career at the next level. By the way, he's, by the way, he's already uh, accepted his senior bowl invites. Exactly. This is it for him. But so I, you I would do hope that he's he healthy enough. To, back. I hope he's healthy enough to come back for the Iron Bowl. That's really the only game. You know, I mean, that's that's looking at it from my perspective. Really, we should be considering that, like, he has a future in this game, and so his health is more important than any particular opponent. And it's a and it's a ligament injury, so it's not like a bone problem where you can just club him up and turn him into Patrick Willis and say, "All right, buddy, go out there and and get it done." Like it, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. And once you start talking about ligament problems, you can start really worrying about like suffering even bigger issues with it. So. You got to be very careful with him. And again, yeah, he, he accepted his invite to the Senior Bowl. That seems to mean that this is going to be his last year at Auburn, and it, and it should. I mean, if he, the man's been here for, for four years already. Um, I think this is a time where there's so much uncertainty around college football and what it's going to look like next year, especially if this pandemic is still going on. There's going to be a lot of these guys that are going to have really interesting decisions to make when it comes to their NFL draft futures. And like, yes, this doesn't count for anybody in terms of their eligibility. But if you have an opportunity to go make money now, go make money now. I'm reminded of Darius Slayton, who once again on Sunday had a couple of really, really good catches um, and, a, and a really good game, I thought, for the for the New York Giants. He was scolded a lot by the Auburn fans. 
Well, now the now the now the thing is turned from now the thing is turned from you know Darius Slayton left too early or you know Darius Slayton you know you know wasn't good enough to go early or whatever um, to now it's been like well Auburn didn't use him well because you know he's doing well. Oh for the, yeah, it's definitely for the all at least at the feet of Gus Miles on. That's been the fun. Part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the switch. It, has been, it went from Auburn crazy. fans being mad at Slayton to be had to channel it at somebody. It's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think when you're in the case of Darius Slayton, he could have came back. He could have had another year. Um, he could have made more money, possibly like Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown did, but he didn't. And now he's the best receiver on his on on a team. I mean, a steal. He's looking like right, and like steal. that's you know that's going to come back and 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 benefit him if he plays. You know, up into that next contract, like you're gonna be, you're gonna make a lot more money than that soon. Absolutely. So, um, I think that's just one of those things. Whether you are Anthony Schwartz or Seth Williams or Eli Stove or um, who else, uh, Big Cat Brian, if you're Zakobi um, McLean, Jamie Sherwood, Smoke Monday, Roger McCreary, a lot of these guys that are key players on this Auburn team this year that have the ability to go to the next level this year. It's going to be tough because I think the evaluations are going to be a lot weirder this year for 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 NFL teams. Uh, much like recruiting is is weird this year for for um, for Auburn football. And and I and I'm one of those things where it's like I'm pro go get your money when you can. Now you want to make the smart and the most informed decision if you can help your cause like Derek Brown did and Marlon Davidson did and some others in the past at Auburn have Braden Smith I think example as well. By the way, Braden Smith has been um, cannot believe that the Colts handled the Titans the way they did. Now, as in many games, three or four plays shifted that from being Titans a pick not to a punter helps. Yeah, yeah, but hey, like to your point, Braden is a is a part of that. And to your other point, like Derek, quite literally, was the prime example of why it is sometimes worth coming back. Um, but also, like, Darius is a great example of why sometimes it's okay to just go. Right. Well, and here's the other thing about that is, like, remember why Derek came back in a in a strictly football sense. Now, he said he wanted to come back and get his degree. He wanted to, you know, be around. He was having a kid and all that. Like, I, I get that. Wasn't it a real that, deep draft class after his junior year, though? An insanely deep draft class, defensive line class. That is the Ed Oliver class. That is the, you know, that that is – I'm trying to think of just defensive tackles, but sweet, sweet Ed. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy uh, Dexter Lawrence. Um, you know, it was all those Clemson guys came out at the same time. Rashawn Gary came mm-hmm. out, uh, like we mentioned, Ed Oliver. Um, that was a that was a Bosa year, I believe. Yeah, it was a Bosa year. So like, it, it, you had half a dozen really quality defensive linemen, and it was and pretty like, clear the next year it was like Derek and Kinlaw. I think were the two best at. Uh, mm-hmm. Options. Yeah, for sure. So I think if you're I think if you're Auburn, you know, just know that this this roster is going to look a lot different next season. But there's still potential that a lot of dudes come back. Just everybody's going to have to make an informed decision for themselves. And I think Auburn fans need to and a lot of them will do this anyway. Um, You know, I think Auburn fans need to continue to kind of look at every situation as its own unique thing like deciding to stay or deciding to go is not an indictment on the program or on the player's personal you know, decision-making it's, it's, it's every, everyone's different. So 
Um, I love that's going to be interesting to watch. Speculation about why it is the program is in flames because a single player decided to go make money. Like, oh, this is evidence as to why. And now I'll fill in the blank. Or a single theory. player decide, or a single player decides to stop, you know, riding the bench and going to go play somewhere else. You know, yeah, that, well, we've that seen happens. that, haven't we? Yeah, we we see that happen. By the way, not riding the bench necessarily in the same way, but uh, Andy Staples had a story at the Athletic about Malik Willis, and like yep. one of the things that stood out about that article was like Malik said he kind of coasted. You know, he didn't work mm-hmm. hard enough to get to get the job at Auburn, and so when Bo and Joey came in. They took it, you know, they took it really by storm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, well, I appreciate the ability to like self-reflect honestly there and say, Hey, you know, maybe there was some immaturity or who knows what it was. Might not have been immaturity. May have something else going on in his life, but yeah, he said he didn't work hard enough. Right. That he recognized that he was also a part of the problem and the solution. Uh, I'll take it. But again, like, Malik Willis is playing extremely well right now. There's no doubt. He's crushing it. He's one of the darlings of college football. You know, I know that Liberty is a weird school and Hugh Freeze has a certainly checkered background, but I think just about anyone who watches Malik Mm -hmm. play at a school that has generally not been considered a a football power, it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to get behind that. Well, yeah. And then it goes back to like, especially when you hear Malik's own comments about it, it's like, it's not one of those cases where it's like, well, there's a really good quarterback that 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 Gus didn't that that Gus ran off and it's like no you know it, it just well, I I've said it before like Malik couldn't help how old Bo Nix was and like Bo Nix especially the last couple of weeks has played like a really good quarterback at the SEC level Malik Wilson's is doing some really good things playing a lighter schedule but you know you got to take all those things into context so anyway I think the I think the main thing here is is that everybody's decision whether to stay or to go, whether it's the NFL or transferring or whatever is different. And, you know, don't, like you said, Peter, like don't make it as like this big indictment of the program, but look at the, if you want to talk about the program, take the trajectory of the program. Um, the big picture is very important. And one of those things in the big picture that's very important is comparing yourself to other programs and what other programs are doing. That leads us right into the Will Muschamp discussion here briefly. Uh, Will Muschamp fired at South Carolina on Sunday evening, uh, parted ways, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, South Carolina. I mean, he's getting the buyout. They may be parting ways, but they respectfully asked him to go, and he said, "Word." South Carolina has been horrible the last few weeks. It's been awesome. Um, Auburn. Lost to South Carolina. Not awesome. But I think when you look at it, it wasn't a case of like, well, you know, some people are going to try to use it as a comparison, right? It's like, well, they got rid of their coach and we lost to them. It's like, well, why did you lose to them? And like, look at where the program is. Like, they got shelled by an LSU team that you shelled. Like, you know, transit property, whatever. It's not, it's not the, it's, Auburn is in a much better spot as a program than South Carolina is. It has been since the dawn of time, basically. Yeah, it is. It is both okay to point out that you should have in no situation ever, ever have lost that game. Well, why did you lose and that also game? point out that South Carolina and Will Muschamp are neither as good of a program as Auburn currently yep. is, yep. nor is Will Muschamp as good of a head coach as Gus Malzahn. Like both and, things can be true. We have, we have a, proof it, on that one. Like we've, 
Yeah, it's, it's an embarrassing well loss. It shouldn't have happened. But you know what? Like, for all the things I will complain about Gus for, it's like he cannot stop Bo from throwing three insanely bad picks on his side of the field, given that one of the things Bo has been best at, even when he has struggled, is making good decisions to not turn the ball over. So, and, like, and that's like one of the one. ones where I just cannot get behind. You can be mad right. about the outcome. You can say it should have never happened, both of which I would agree to. Mm-hmm. Bo played what I think probably his worst game of his career. Yes. So, so like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 very clear to me that they should have never lost that game and that Will Muschamp is not as good of a coach as Gus Malzahn. And, like, Malzahn deserves some of the blame for the loss like any coach does in those situations. And he'll be, right. and he'll be right. the one to put it on himself because it was a meltdown. They lost the plot on offense that game. They did not adjust. He said they, they didn't, did, you know, they didn't handle the adversity well. No, and coaches, players, all that, it all came into it. But here's the thing. You lost that game to South Carolina because you threw three picks that led to 21 points. If you've watched South Carolina pretty much all year, including the Auburn game, the only way South Carolina is driving and scoring on you is if you give them good field position. If you make them go the length of the field, they're having a hard time putting up points on anybody. And if you're like right. Ole Miss and you just can't stop any form of a rush attack. Right. If you're Auburn in this case, is like, you play that game again, you probably beat them, right? This might be a nine times out of ten situation because throwing three interceptions that lead to 21 points in a game that was decided by a touchdown, and also, by the way, a game that came down to the final play, remember? You know, Auburn had a chance to tie it up there at the end. That That isn't the sign of like, well, South Carolina's better off. Like, no, South Carolina is a worse team and a worse, pro- and a worse program than Auburn right now, right? And they're moving on. They're going in a different direction. So any you know, comparing the, the two is thing. I will say this, though. Auburn is going to really, really regret that one long term. Like that one, losing well, for that For what it's game, worth this year, too. I mean, you're still very in Auburn. the... It's very Auburn yeah. that game. Yeah. Because well, you're still in the SEC championship hunt, you know? I mean, I'm not yes. expecting them to beat Alabama, but I think they play a competitive game if we get the same Auburn we've gotten over the last couple of weeks, 100%. right? I don't think Alabama 100%. is just going to run Auburn off the field. Yeah, it's it's a it's one of those things where if you're Auburn, you're in a spot like you were in 17, you're in a spot like you were at times in 16. Like, you're still in the hunt down the stretch if you avoid the the loss that you have no business losing. And again, Auburn's had quite a few of those in the last few years. It's things they got to avoid. It's part of taking the next step as a program, but they've rebounded off it because remember the, the, the tone and the tenor around the program after you lose to South Carolina, the way they did was, Oh, this is bad. And this Auburn team might not crack 500 this year. Yep. Now it's, I feel good about a... them potentially going seven and three if they end up playing that Mississippi State game when it's scheduled. Yeah. I still think they're going to beat A and M. And seven and three won't sit well with a lot of people, especially the way it happens. But like seven and three, that's going to like beat the computer's odds a Go little. Go look bit at what Penn Auburn State's fans. doing right now, Auburn fans. All right. Yeah, but that okay. That that's also a thing. And I was listening to um I was listening yesterday to our friends at a Split Zone Duo. If you don't listen to that podcast, you definitely need to. Richard Johnson and Alex Kirshner do an excellent job with that, and they get Stephen Godfrey on there most of the time as well to talk. And they, you know, really, I think if you want to know more about college football at a national level, 
Uh, and these guys are my friends and, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm very biased in this aspect. Right. Even if from an objective perspective, they do a better job of wrapping up what's happening in college football nationally and breaking it down for everybody to understand. And they were talking about what Penn State's doing, what Michigan is doing, what, I mean, trace it down to some of the Mountain West results this year and some of these across the country. It's like, COVID has made it such that it, it, consistency is is just up and down. Like, unless you're an elite, elite program, it, it kind of gets a little weird of, like, who is going to be good and who's not going to be good in any given week, right? Look at Minnesota, look at Michigan, and certainly look at Penn State. All these examples, even Georgia, and I know Georgia is a weird case given their quarterback situation, but Georgia has all that talent. And talent's usually the thing that can equalize or, or equal some form of stability, right? Mm-hmm. And even Georgia's finding a hard time with that. It's really like, yeah, Alabama and Ohio State have been pretty consistent to this point. So don't act like this year doesn't matter and it doesn't count because it definitely matters and it definitely counts to the people who are playing it and coaching it, right? And it matters to the fans as well. But it's also, let's look at it from a big picture perspective. It's a year where at any given time, the get the season could stop or be heavily altered or players could, you know, players could just not be able to play and not specifically for injury and normal football reasons, but just pandemic. We're trying to do this in a pandemic reasons. Like, so it's not that the, the, the season doesn't count. It's just that it needs to be viewed in a different lens than a normal year because inconsistency is happening pretty much everywhere. The good news for Auburn though, is, is that after that, I mean, if you look at the scope of their season, that South Carolina loss was out of the norm of what they had been playing and what they had played you know, the next couple of weeks against Ole Miss and LSU. You know, it, it's, a, it's a fine year. It's not going to make everybody happy because no one's ever going to be completely, you know, it's you're not going to be universally loved unless you win a national championship, basically, or win, win a championship of some kind. But I think is that if Auburn is continuing to show progress moving forward and if they shake off some of the problems that they had earlier in the year and they're taking a step forward. And in 2021, you can see forward momentum for the program. Okay. then that's a positive. That's a positive in a, whatever you can get in that one. And even if you just kind of plateau a little bit, the fact that you're not having a year like Penn state's having, or a year like Michigan's having, or some of these other, like that should be a good sign for you because everything feels so kind of randomized and weird mm-hmm. right now, unless you're Alabama or Ohio state or, well, even Clemson, even Clemson on it. some level, like I'm not going to hold them Dame. against that uh, that loss to Notre Dame too. Notre much. Dame looks really good. Yeah, because I think Notre Dame might actually, you know, I think, but I also, while I think Notre Dame is probably going to make the playoff, I think even with that loss, Clemson's probably also going to make the playoff if we get there. And Auburn fans probably won't. There's two ways to look at the stat, and I think Auburn fans will generally tend to look at the negative side of it. But Bo's only thrown ten interceptions in his career thus far, and thirty percent of those came in one game, which is telling that he doesn't of them came in two games. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't usually turn the ball over, but mm-hmm. uh, when he does, it has been ex- extremely costly for Auburn. Uh, I guess I would, the only thing I would push back on a little bit there, Ferg, because I think you're right. Like when you look at the overall state of Auburn's program, even given some of their past inconsistencies, most Auburn fans, or at least a fraction of them will have this outsized level of complaint about how this year is going and it seems to me that it is heading or at least trending in a good direction if they beat Tennessee and beat A&M as I expect that they will. And state. What, what's mo- yes, and state. What's most frustrating to me is that in 14, 
the A&M and Georgia losses derail an SEC championship potentially trip, depending on how that Alabama game ends up going. 2016, you could say something similar about that Georgia loss. 2018, you're not in contention at that point to go to the SEC title, but you lose to Tennessee. Like, it has been a recurring theme. Um, so, like, there's legitimate frustration there, which I, I don't think you're saying there isn't. But, okay, but here's the, here's, the th- here's the thing I have to that. Which mm-hmm. teams are avoiding those, right? What teams are avoiding those kind of general inconsistencies? Because this was a point that they were making on, on Split Zone uh, yesterday. What What's happening at Penn State right now? Unless you're an elite, elite team, you're going to go through stuff like this, right? Well, even like, Florida this year lost to A&M, which is baffling to me. Exactly. So, like, it, it's, it's one of those things where you can say, man, I wish Auburn wouldn't lose these games they shouldn't lose. It's like, yeah, er, almost everybody in the country does that every year, except for Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. I mean, even Oklahoma. Look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma should have been able to walk into the playoff blindfolded this year, and they lost their first two games in the Big 12. Like, so it's it's frustrating. I get it. But, like, you've also got to understand, like, you don't need to warp that into an expectation. And I think looking at your rivals, like, even Georgia, like, even look at Georgia right now. They losing to Florida isn't necessarily a horrible thing because Florida's offense looks like a buzzsaw this year. But, like, you know, even those even teams like that are having, you know, games. Georgia lost to South Carolina last year. Like they like it, it, it happens. And, you know, it, it's where teams like Alabama and I mean, it, it let's all right. Let's be honest. It's just Alabama and it's just Alabama, period. Right. Clemson lost to Syracuse a few years ago. Ohio mm-hmm. State got boat raced by Purdue. Right. And so, like, those games happen. And you might say, yeah, they might happen a little bit more frequently than Auburn, but also they happen a little bit more frequently than Auburn because Auburn isn't as good of a program as those other teams are. Well, just I would not. argue that no other team on a yearly basis has to do what Auburn has to do in terms of playing yeah. LSU, Alabama, Georgia. And it sucks that it's Alabama that is the one that seems immune to these You're always holding up a mirror to that, yes. You're always right. going to be looking at that. And so it's like, Alabama only man. loses games that, you know, it feels like Alabama only loses games that are utterly stupid. Well, here's a good thing. Auburn, yes. Auburn, Auburn wins some of those. It's been Auburn or Ole Miss, right? And Clemson, like <laughs> and Clemson, but yeah, but yeah, and Clemson is just like okay, that team's but a little bit different. You. If you're in the right. playoff, it's like I kind of expect you to give Alabama a run for their money, right? Exactly. So, I think all that to say is is that if you're if you're an Auburn fan right now, I, I get the frustration. I mean, and there's people who are just off the off Gus forever, and they don't mm-hmm. want him back, or you know, they they won't be happy until he's gone. Okay. Well, here's the thing find another hobby or just buckle up and sit through it because like, I don't think he's going anywhere this year. Uh, I think if you're in the case and like, you want to compare it to South Carolina, it's like, well, South Carolina thought enough was enough. And like, yes, if South Carolina was going to, if South Carolina kept Will Muschamp around, it was going to hurt the program more, right? Because there's no positive momentum to speak of. At least you can point to some positive things happening at Auburn. Right. Just compare. I know South Carolina beat Auburn this year. and We just laid out all the reasons why South Carolina beat Auburn this year. But try, but like comparison wise, those two programs are in a completely different spot. And I think financially they were about to run into a situation where it was like it might be worse off for us to keep this guy around instead of we got to we got to get people believing in the program again. We got to sell tickets, all that. It's all about money. And then the crazy thing is, is that 
Will Muschamp's going to make about $15 million to not coach at South Carolina anymore in the middle of a pandemic at a time where South Carolina is laying people off or, you know, having, I know, I know for sure of pay cuts that have happened in that. And it's just, it's a bad system, man. It's a bad system. So you, you did something on social media that you don't normally do. You went on a bit of a rant. Do you want to open up on that or do you not really, do you just want people to go look at Twitter if they're really interested in hearing what it is your opinion was on South Carolina's, I guess you can look at it as an investment if you want to look at it that way, since like you're saying, there's a section of the fan base in South Carolina and perhaps their boosters also that believe by simply not doing anything, they could be in for a worse sequence of events financially than if they just ponied up 10 plus million dollars. So here's my problem. I don't, disagree with the fact that Will Muschamp needed to not be the head coach at South Carolina anymore. It makes sense. He was below 500 there. The program was heading in the wrong direction. Fan support was low. I get that. Here's my issue with this whole system and with college football. He is going to get paid tens of millions of dollars between Florida and, and, and uh, South Carolina now to not coach football for them. Go he gets away. Pay, to he go gets away. paid to go away, right? You have to pay someone eight figures because he has been he has underperformed so much that you can't afford to keep him around. And in a performance based industry, that is absurd. And the other thing to top up on that is this. Like I said on Twitter, there are valid and difficult questions about paying players and how to do it in college sports and how that would work. You would have to create something new. I get that. Those are tough philosophical and legal and all these questions. And practical, un- right? Very yes, practical. It's, it's, like, it's, you know, how do you do that? Right. In this current system of college sports, you could not do what people think or people like me think you should do, which is pay the players what they're worth, right? You'd have to change the system. However, do not let anyone tell you that they cannot come up with the money for it. Because if it matters, they will come up with the money for it. They are going to pay a man $15 million to stop coaching and then hire a completely new staff on top of that during a pandemic that has affected financially a lot of what happens in college sports. Okay? So, again, like I said, do not tell me that you can't come up with the money for it. It's a bad system. And whichever agent came up with a fact that said, hey, you know, if you really want my guy, you want to really show you're committed to him, put this little thing in his contract that says that you'll pay this much of his contract if you get rid of him, if you fire him. Because it's not a buyout like, you know, uh, you know a buyout in the case of um, is, uh, buyouts for leaving are different in, depending on like, hey, if we fire you. Here's what, here's how much it costs. Or if, you know, you decide to go somewhere else, here's how much they have to pay us in order to get, you know, to make it worthwhile. It's, it's, it's different. Those, those two figures are usually very different. It's so insane. It is so insane that in a performance based system, we said you can do so poorly at your job that you are going to be guaranteed a lot of money. It is dumb. It is so dumb. And it's also why Jimbo Fisher should never work hard at any moment that he's at Texas A&M. Like, what's the incentive? What's the incentive other than pride? And I mean, you know what? Pride's a big factor for a lot of people. And like, you don't want to do a bad job, but like. Yeah, and most of these coaches a, got into the job because they're extremely hardworking, right. like 
borderline psycho competitive. So, but you know, maybe it won't matter sense. for Fisher. Maybe it just turns out that he's an above average coach that isn't worth $75 million. And that even though he'll try his best, it just won't be good enough. It won't be a matter of win, quitting. He could, he could win 10 national titles in a row, or he could lose every single game he played. Right. And the money is still the same. That is an insane system. That's an insane system. So, it's also weird Auburn? to me to say things like, well, Dabo Sweeney is clearly proven his worth. That's what the market allows him to make. And then it's like you're going to turn around and say, but the players deserve nothing. You cannot say that the coaches deserve what they get, that the, the coaches have a market value that says Dabo Sweeney should make roughly $90 million while in the same breath telling reporters that players, there's just not enough money. Okay, if like if that is the case, if it is the case that Dabo Sweeney is worth that much money, how much money do you think Trevor Lawrence is worth? I can tell you how much Trevor Lawrence is going to be worth to the New York Jets in a, in a in a few months. So it's it's just ba- it is a baffling argument in the same breath to say that someone is the market dictates that they're worth ninety million dollars, and then to turn around and say the people that are bringing him that success. Don't get access to it. They just, just need a quiet. scholarship and some books and you know a place to live, it, which are, which are real things, which are tangible things. Which I get it. There are well, you know probably some of you listening, and there's a lot See of people. See if Dabo say, Sweeney would like to live off of swag and books. Let me well, know how well, that goes. But here's the thing: there's there, there's there's a lot of people who some of whom might be listening to this podcast right now. I'm still like, man, I wish I'd have had that when I was in college. I yeah, had to pay for all that to stuff. not and be in a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt would be dope. And that's a different argument for a different day and probably a different podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's true. It would be great to have that. But can you also run a 4-3? Can you play, you know, Division One? Do you provide entertainment value that millions well, of people want to watch? The argument is what the Dabo Sweeney and the like, you know, his peers are worth what they're worth, and that's why you can afford to pay them but part to of the, the tune of $100 million. Yeah. Then, then why is it that other people are not worth what they are worth? It's it's but a, it's a nonsensical worth, argument. Right. Part of the reason why they're worth what they're worth is because, you know, that, fi- that dollar figure makes more sense when you don't have to pay the players. There's no there's no sport in the world where the coach makes more than the players at the professional level, right? On the whole. I mean, of course some coaches make more than the players, but like the top players are paid well more than the, well, well more than the coaching coaching. Patrick Mahomes makes more than Andy Reid and Andy Reid's still really good at his job. Right. So part of the reason why you can make that much money if you're Dabo Sweeney or Will Muschamp or, uh, J- Jimbo Fisher got smiles on is because you don't have to pay the other players. So, yeah, I guess getting off my soapbox, the last thing I'll do is just read Ryan Nanny's tweet. College football would be much funnier if athletic directors were personally liable for coach buyouts. Yes. Yes. See how, all, see how confident you are then. If, uh, if you really feel that, <laughs> you know, feel some type of way. We really believe in coach Muschamp. So much so that I'm going to put ten million dollars of my own money up against it. Yeah, I might uh, have uh, might have changed might have changed some tunes, some some thoughts going into that hire. Which someone else pointed out, this always felt inevitable. If you watch Muschamp at Florida, who oh, yeah. recruited well, like it's not like Florida as a program or Muschamp can't recruit, and it didn't work there. Why did South Carolina think at a worse program with less access to good recruits that it was going to be a different result? The whole thing to me was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 
Guy's a great coordinator. Uninspired. Like, we can't get around un, that. Uninspired hire, and I think they're going to pay for it. And we'll see who they go with next. I think the candidates I saw early were Hugh Freeze, of course, which I think is probably going to end up being the coach there. That would make the most sense. Um, Billy Napier at uh, Louisiana, former Alabama assistant coach, uh, which would make a lot of sense there as well. Um, somebody put in the Army coach as well which would be fun, but I doubt South Carolina would want to go into that offense. And uh, I still think they should hire Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina because if you've watched Coastal play this year, that offense is a whole lot of fun. Um, moving on, a little bit more football. AuburnObserver.com, this will be our, our spot where we where we stop and sell you on some things. Uh, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. For those of you who aren't as part of Painter's Inner Circle, you can check it out. Uh, all of all of my stories and our premium Thursday podcast uh, get sent directly into your email inbox if you go to auburnobserver.com. Uh, Monday morning we put up a film room. We had a couple of film rooms during the during the off weeks. One on the passing game. We talked about a lot of the concepts going in for Auburn. Uh, Monday morning we did one on the uh, rushing attack. Uh, why Auburn's running game is improved. Painter Auburn is averaging 5.35 yards per carry over their last four weeks. That's almost two yards more than they average against SEC opponents in 2013 and 2018, sorry, and uh, a yard more uh, per carry than they did in 2019. Um, I I want to ask you. I mean, I, I I had the numbers and I wrote this story, but as somebody, I always like hearing your perspective for, on these things because one, it's usually a pretty unique perspective, and two, you you are still a fan. Um, what has been your take, your overall takeaway on this running game, especially in the last four weeks that, you know, Auburn has been able to do the thing that they really haven't been able to do at a high level the last couple of years. I was pretty irritated the way they came out this year, especially against Georgia. Um, I didn't expect it to go great in the run game, given what we've seen from the offensive line, and the running game as a whole over the last couple of seasons. And they have such a good defense, but it looked pretty inept for a lot of the game, right? And so I was pretty ready to pull uh, the panic lever or push the panic button, you know? And instead what has happened since is that the offensive line is actually doing well. They have what appears to be one of the most talented young running backs in college football. And since the Ole Miss game, your quarterback is giving you the kind of performances that you'd really been hoping for since you signed him, Right. Um, we'll see if those things continue to click. I was very much as, uh, is perturbed the right word, certainly annoyed as I've been during the Malzahn era after the Georgia and of course the South Carolina game, but that has less to do with, I think the run game than the Georgia game did. And, you know, I don't know how much credit Bicknell and Chad Morris deserve, obviously some of it because it's improving. I think a good bit of it, especially from Bicknell's perspective. That agreed with you uh, on that. So my my thing is I've done a pretty hard turnaround. I was I was very ready to be critical of um, the offensive line not taking enough steps forward early in the season. You know Morris had his hands on the Bicknell hire. I think ultimately it was a reminder that this is a weird season and that when you have new players, even in a non-pandemic year, it just takes time to come together and. You know, that gets back into the argument that we've had for a couple of years together for or the, at least the conversation, which is like, at what level do you just have to expect to be patient in a Gus Malzahn system? Because most years you do. 
By the way, um, you're right about Tank Bigsby, and I think there's a lot of people who want to point to the fact that it's like, oh, Auburn's better at running the ball this year because Tank Bigsby's better. And yeah, it's not just because of big, him, people. It's, it's a big part. That's a big part. He's averaging he's averaging almost a, a yard a yard and a half more after contact than Booby Whitlow did last year. And that adds up. Um, he's averaging five point six four yards per carry against SEC opponents. Was on track to be the most uh, that Auburn has had. Uh, by running backs is Cameron Petway in 2016, and also they're doing a better job of splitting up the carries than they did with Petway and, and Carryon mm-hmm. Johnson, of course. Um, but the offensive line, like they're a top 15 run-blocking offensive line right now in college football. You look at Football Outsiders, you look at a lot of uh, a lot of places. Statistically, they are getting the job done. Um, they are number eight in the country in opportunity rate, which is the percentage of runs where the offensive line, quote unquote, does its job and, and creates at least four yards of space for guys to run. They're they're doing a better job on power rate this year, um, and they're getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage less frequently. Um, not having Brandon Council was a bump in the road, but then they put in Keandre Jones and it just keep ticking. They run the ball pretty well against LSU. They've run four. They've had four straight games where they run over 200 yards against SEC opponents. That's pretty dang good, um, especially considering like the talent on a team like LSU. And I know they haven't been great this year, especially in pass defense, but Arkansas has been a pretty good defense this year as well. They're continuing to kind of chew it up. And they're about to hit this stretch right here when they play Tennessee and Texas A&M and Alabama here. And I didn't get the order right there, but in three weeks, those are – better run defenses. They're not great stifling dominant run defenses like LSU. I mean, the, the, like Georgia's been, but they've, they've gotten in, they've gotten into that spot. And, and here's the other thing. And, and the one thing that stood out to me, and I asked Gus about this last night, one of the big things that has stood out to me, um, from the, from, from, from this season is that the, the tight ends are, are absolute, jackhammers on in, in run blocking this year. Um, everybody knows and remembers um, JJ Pegues absolutely baptizing that defender <laughs> on the split zone against Ole Miss. But if you look at pro football focus, focus Luke deal is Auburn's highest rated run blocker this season. Um, when he's on the field, Auburn just runs the ball better. When they go into two tight end sets, Auburn is averaging like a, a huge number of uh, yards per carry this year. At 5.26 yards per carry when running the ball in in 12 personnel. Um, Chad Morris came in saying we're gonna we're going to use the tight end more, and I know Auburn fans aren't. Well, they went they, they went to pass catching. Like when you hear that, the first thing you think right. is like, oh, pass catching. But they're on the field a lot, and they're making an impact, even if they're not catching a ton of passes right now. Uh, they're making an impact with the way they're blocking. I think I think the emergence of Luke Deal and JJ Bakis's early start have been two of the brighter spots of this offense in 2020. Also, it's just fun watching J.J. Biggs do anything. <laughs> and this is going to go both ways, right? It's going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but I think we can all acknowledge that the coaching staff has had some swings and misses on the offensive line, which has led to, I would say, relative to some of the great recruiting that has been done across the roster, a mm-hmm. less talented position group overall. Uh, so on the one hand, not great that you had some whiffs on the recruiting trail over the last few cycles at O-line. On the other hand, since development is a buzzword around Auburn's program all the time, I think you have to give some credit to McNell and Morrison company for taking a group that largely is not considered Auburn's most talented 
and making it work. Is that a fair thing to say? I think it's a fair thing to say. And I, I'll say this. I think we we still thought coming in the season, Brody Aries Ham had the potential sure. to be a star on the offensive line. And he's, he's played he well. What, was he second team without really having a start under his belt? Mm-hmm. All SEC. I think Nick Brahms has gotten better in some carries. Alec Jackson has had some issues in pass protection. That's obvious, but like he's played, he's played well. He's become a really good run blocker for Auburn this year, and he's continued to get better in pass protection. He did a really good job, I thought, against LSU in that aspect. Uh, Tayshawn Manning. I mean, but these guys are just kind of some some bulldozers, and and you're going to start to see this a little bit more moving forward. If Auburn can get more, if if Auburn can get more production out of its out of its running game, if it has a coach like Bignell, if Bignell can get a lot out of these guys, well, when the talent level continues to go up in the future. Like Auburn needs to continue to recruit higher level guys on the offensive line. That's got to be an area where they where they go moving forward. But I thought it was very telling, and he played some early in the year. Keandre Jones is the highest rated guard Auburn's had since Braden Smith, by the way. Like we said earlier, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL this season. Um, he's the highest rated guard Auburn's gotten since Braden Smith, and he comes in there and Auburn doesn't miss a beat on the offensive line. And so, and that's a redshirt freshman. So like there's 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 a good thing moving forward for them. That they're able to, that they're able to get a lot out of some of these guys that are that were you know not highly regarded heading into the year. A couple other things to keep in mind: um, they're mixing up zone and gap really well. They're going back and forth. Auburn has become a much better zone running team over the last few weeks, which is huge. And they're only going to get better as the offensive line improves, as Bo Nix becomes a more of a threat to run. And if Tank Bixby just gets better at running the zone, um, he is very much a run at somebody very hard, and you kind of <laughs> need a little bit of patience in the zone scheme. It's what it's what made Carryon Johnson so good. It's what made some teams really good in the past for Auburn. Um, Chad Morris talked about it a couple weeks ago. As, as he continues to develop, I think he's only going to get better and better, which is crazy because like right now, he's on track to be one of the best running backs Auburn has had in the last decade as a true freshman, and he's in like there's still room for him to get better. I guess I'm just uh, glad it didn't go off the rails because I was I was a, a negative of, boy after like, the Georgia game. Let me tell yeah. you that much. Yeah. I was not I was not sold on this offensive line getting to where it a needed to be, and then I guess b to this point has gotten. Like when you highlight that, hey, this has been a statistically sound rush offensive line, mm-hmm. and given what we knew about the team, or maybe what we didn't know about the group coming in to the season. I don't think that's a small feat. We'll see how that plays out. Um, nothing better than saying, we'll see how that plays out as analysis, very good analysis painter. But like, I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to do people. much about it. Right. There's really nothing about their defensive line to me that says they're going to make it more problematic for this offensive line to run the football. They're going to be more of a test on defense than obviously Ole Miss was in LSU to an mm. extent. Um, they do some things on offense that could give Auburn's defense some issues, but they're not as good on offense as Ole Miss and LSU have been. So it's going to be an interesting game. It's, I mean, Auburn's Auburn's a double-digit favorite in this game. Tennessee's kind of kind of reeling. We'll see who's available when we see who's ready to go um, for Auburn in that game. But I feel I feel pretty confident that Auburn can take care of business, especially in a night game at home, and 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 get things done. Speaking we'll of about- which, how about uh, that uh, guy Elijah Moore and what he was able to do yet again? <laughs> against another college program. And uh, I guess I will say he did not do that against, he did not do that against your Auburn Tigers. Again, guys, whether it's Joe Burrow 
or Terrace Marshall or Elijah Moore or Jerry Judy or, you know, name any number, Devontae Smith, name any number of these guys. Um, when Auburn, <laughs> when Auburn locks in on a player defensively and tries to take them out of the game plan or at least affect them a lot, in the case of Burrow, you know, you, you held Burrow in that offense to their They had a lot of yards, but they didn't score, so whatever. I don't care. So on top of that, I just say when 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 Kevin Steele gets a game plan ready to take your best player out of the game plan or affect him, like in the case of Burrow, um, he's just really good at his job, guys. But we Jalen Waddle made me a fan of his. He is my favorite player in all of college football this year because Auburn was able to take away all the other receiving options essentially in that Iron Bowl last year, and it's like, well, when you've got four dudes that are that good, somebody's got to play. And I was like, well. The Swaddle guy is kind of exciting. I mean, how, you know, like that's insane that they were able to to stop three of the four Alabama receivers last year. And that guy who was what considered your fourth option behind Judy Ruggs and Smith is that good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I say all that to say, like, for all of my frustrations on the offensive side of the ball at the beginning of the year, and I was, a, you know, I suppose a little critical um, at the beginning of the year, the defense as well. It's kind of coming together into the point we've made here before. You don't plan anymore to win championships on, on your defense's back, but Kevin Steele's unit as a defense, if the offense is good enough, puts them squarely into a position to compete for champions. 100%. 100%. Let's switch gears here and talk some basketball. It's going to be a long episode, but, you know, hey, we're hey. giving the people what they want. Um, Switch to talk some basketball. Auburn, since the last time we talked, uh, last Thursday evening, picked up a commitment from guard Trey Alexander uh, in the 2021 class. It, I'll just say, it, Vayner, he's not a five-star. He's not even a guy that's necessarily one of the top players in the country. But man, oh man, I think this dude is the perfect fit for what Auburn wants to do with their with their basketball team moving forward and i really really like his potential in auburn's in auburn system uh the thing that perhaps excites me about pearl most is not just that he has auburn recruiting at a top 10 level obviously we're all excited about this and cannot believe that that we're saying those words aloud it is that when pearl goes out and gets a player that's not sharif that's not jabari that's not austin wiley throw in whatever five-star player you want He's finding, and it's cliche to say diamond in the rough, but like he's finding guys that fit within his system that are very talented. His scouting and his development is excellent. So whether you want to lean on the fact that he has increased by a large margin the amount of talent Auburn has on its team, or if you want to praise him for individually scouting players who fit within his system, he deserves praise on both sides. I will, I will absolutely um, shill for this man. And let's be very clear here. Trey Alexander is an awesome basketball player. Yes, yes. I'm not trying to make it out that he's not. It's just like Trey, you're saying. He's not Jabari. He's not Sharif. Jabari, oh, I'm sorry, Trey Alexander uh, is the 12th highest rated player Auburn has ever gotten a commitment from. So nothing signing. to sneeze at. So ever in, in the modern era. So he's already a, an awesome Kansas was the team Auburn really beat out to get him Arkansas as well, but which is weird. Kansas and also like him. a couple of years ago, Sim Bowers was like in the range of like 
that guy of Trey Alexander. So I think that also tells you a little something about the development of recruiting. Um, Four-star guard, uh, number 61 overall player in the country, uh, 6'4 from uh, Oklahoma City. Got some range. Buddy, I... So he does not mind pulling up, does he? If I had to, you know, and I broke it down his game, it's another thing you check out at auburnobserver.com, um, did a breakdown of his game. There's a lot of gifts and a lot of stats in there about him and kind of where I think he fits on offense and defense and, and Pearl's system, and you can check that out there. I think what you get out of him in Trey Alexander is I think you are put if you put if you put Bryce Brown and and Jared Harper in a machine and kind of fused them together and then just made him a bigger prospect coming out of high school, this is what you're getting out of Trey Alexander. This is a dude who is fearless from shooting from deep. He shoots from really deep and he does it really well. He's had a couple of games in his career where he's hit like eight, nine, ten threes in a game uh, in his high school career. Um, he does a good job of dribbling. He will play some, like he will play some one for his team. I think he's going to give them some uh, Auburn some options of like a ball handling guard, kind of like what they would do with Bryce from time to time. But dude loves to shoot threes, and he's very crafty. When you watch him dribble and when you watch him move to the basket, his moves aren't necessarily like whoa, like ankle breakers. You know, get people jumping up and down on the sidelines. They're just very decisive and effective, right? It's not flashy, but he just creates space really well. He's got a really good step back jumper. Um, he's got, he's got a number of uh, really good uh, moves to get to the basket um, and kind of very creative with his layups and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really, he's a really, really effective player um, on the offensive side of the ball. And he just fits what Auburn wants to do. Well, he plays fast, he shoots threes and he gets to the rack. Like that's, that's the type of Bruce Pearl player that I think is going to be really effective. On top of that, get excited about the way this dude plays defense. Here's the thing. Trey Alexander is a 6'4 shooting guard, and he averages nine rebounds a game in high school. At that point, it is no longer – like when you see a dude get a ton of rebounds in high school, a lot of times you can point to it's like, oh, well, he's just physically better than everybody else mm-hmm. on, the, on the floor. He's jumping up. This is a 6'4 guard, nine rebounds a game. That is effort. That is desire to go get the ball. Like that is that's what double it is. Double digit like, rebounds at that height are almost double digit rebounds. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like you know how Russell Westbrook plays, and I and I think honestly, you know, considering this dude's from Oklahoma City, um, you could see a little bit of Westbrook in his game as well, because the dude just plays aggressive, getting rebounds, and also. Just working hard on defense to create steals and block. He might be the best shot blocking guards Auburn has had in a long time. Go watch his film. He blocks shots with regularity. He sticks to people's hip uh, when they're driving, and then when they try to get up and around him or try to go through him or anything, he swats the ball pretty well. I, I mean, he defensively, he, he, he's got everything Pearl wants because, again, if you're in a system where you're not going to be able to trap as much, you're not going to be able to do, do. You know, a lot of the things that Pearl was famous for doing because of the way college basketball has changed up its rules and its spacing over the years. You want guys who can get, who use their wingspan to get into passing lanes, to block shots, to deflect passes, um, to steal the ball, and then create opportunities on offense, create opportunities to go coast to coast off of that. There's a GIF I have in the story you can check out, and I tweeted it the other day. There's a play that happens where a guy, a guy's driving on, a guy's driving, 
He pulls up about mid-range. Alexander blocks the shot, rips it down, and as soon as he blocks it, he goes coast to coast, stops at the top of the key, pulls a three in transition, and nails it. That right there in a gif is just exactly what I, like that's that's the quintessential Bruce Pearl basketball player right there. Force a turnover, shoot a three quickly, and hit it. He's got it. Like, like that's that's the type of dude that you're getting. I've not been more excited for Auburn basketball since the Final Four run. And here's the thing: you don't want to look too far ahead. I get that. There's yeah, you season. want to be able to enjoy every year, right? We've said this, you know. We, this you, season, want, you don't want to keep looking at years as this is our year. It's like, well, can we can we just be competitive as a program every season? And I think Auburn will be competitive as a program this season. But you can start looking if 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 Sharif Cooper comes back in 2021-22, and they sign Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander, they're probably not going to sign any more guys because if everybody comes back, there'll be one over the scholarship limit. So like they're already don't. Like Auburn's not going to have a top 25 recruiting class this year. And I'm already looking forward to people being like, well, Auburn's recruit. Like someone's just going to like look at numbers and be like, well, Auburn's recruiting took a step back. It's like, no, they signed the highest rated player they've ever had. Okay. And then they signed a really good two star, uh, a really good two yard next to them. They didn't need anybody else. Right. Um, this is not football where you sign a 25 man class pretty much every year. So I, I I'm already, Starting to think about this though is like there's a potential that next season, now this upcoming soon, you have your two best players you've ever signed in Jabari Smith and Sharif Cooper. Cooper coming off of a year where he's already been pretty much your starting point guard, uh, if everything goes as planned right now. Um, you add Jabari Smith to the mix. You have a guy in JT Thor who would have been a five star if he would have if he would have stayed in that classification, but now he's got experience. You got Jalen Williams, you got Devin Cambridge, you got, you know, still bring back Jamal Johnson, you've got uh Alan Flanagan, you've got uh Stretch Akambola, you've got Dylan Cardwell, you've got um Chris Moore, you've got all these dudes that have added on games and gotten experience, and then boom, here's two really talented players adding on to it. That's gonna be scary. That's gonna be a scary basketball team. So Look forward to this season. Get excited about this season um, because I think they can be a really fun team in time. But I'm just thinking, man, like if you look at the big picture, getting a guy like Trey Alexander, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a scenario. There's a scenario where Auburn next season plays some sort of lineup where they have four former top 70 players on the on the floor at the same time. That's... I mean, that's night and day from what Auburn basketball usually is. So get ready for it. And like most of those guys could have some experience too. So that's, that's a, I think everyone who's super excited about this team, don't let, don't let bad results if they happen and they probably will from time to time this year, dissuade you from the fact that this team is building something really, really special. This program is in, is in hyperspeed right now. I don't have much more to add to that. I mean, it's what we've said a lot this offseason, right? Which is like, hey, if you can finish respectably with a team this young, and by all accounts, I expect them to. My my gauge is can you somehow manage to finish in the top four in a league that has a lot of experience this year? And again, if you do that, it bodes very well for 2021. We've said this in the past. Different programs should have different goals. If you're Duke, if you're Kansas— Pretty much any year that you're not in an, in an Elite Eight or a Final Four, 
is a failure, everyone would like their program to be in that situation. There's like five schools that can say that, right? Mm -hmm. Auburn's goal is not there yet, but I think it's inching that way for now. And by my perception, finishing in the top half of the league every year, especially if you can finish in the top four of a 14-team league with a bunch of good recruiting and a bunch of good coaches right now, you're on the right path. And so it's a little old to take. I keep using, but I think it's true. Like finishing the top four this year, Auburn fans. And by all accounts, if you do that, and especially if you can do that and sweep your rival Alabama, who's got some momentum, that's all I want out of this season. That's all I want. Speaking of Auburn basketball, looking ahead to the future, let's look to the very immediate past. This Wednesday's the uh, NBA draft, so the next time we talk to you, we will know where Isaac Okoro is playing. He's going to play his his NBA career at. That was a stupid sentence. Um, we'll know where we'll know where Isaac Okoro is at. Let's just say that. Um, if you're if if you're uh, subscribed to the Auburn Observer, you know what? Here here here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to make a statement right here, Painter. You can hold me to it. Tuesday at auburnobserver.com. I'm going to do a breakdown of the teams that might that look like the best fits for Isaac Okora at the NBA level. It's kind of a little draft preview. I think Auburn fans are going to be very interested to see where Okoro goes, as we saw with Chumo Kiki. You know, there's going to be, I mean, there's a good bit of people who are now Auburn basketball fans who might not have an NBA team that might not watch the NBA. Um, I'll say this. Picking a team based off of a player you really, really like and just following them is fun. I did it with Steph Curry, and it worked out really, really well. Maybe you'll get something similar with uh, if you follow Isaac Okoro at the next level. Nothing against Jared Harper. I wouldn't be a fan of the Knicks right now. If Okoro ends with the Knicks, okay, you can double up and go go with that. But um, but I'm going to write a story on on Tuesday at, at AuburnObserver.com if you're subscribed to our uh, emails, even if you're not, you know, a paid subscriber, you'll get that. I'm gonna make that. Uh, I'm gonna make that free for everybody. Um, just check out because it's gonna be something a little different, and it'll be something that I think people, um, you know, might not necessarily who are not necessarily subscribers for all of our football and, and some of our basketball stuff who want to be interested in. So check that out. Just a quick preview of that. It feels like Okoro might not be top ten at this point. Maybe, maybe not. I think it's it's really kind of a crapshoot. I think between like four and 15 in this draft this year. Um, but I think later lottery is probably where you're going to see him end up. And there's a number of teams that could either trade back into that range or are currently at that range that make a lot of sense. Painter, I want to ask you this. If you could put Isaac Okoro on any NBA team right now, who would you go with? The easy one for me is the Warriors, because I think – I've already got them as, and I think I've got good odds on this, as the champion next year. You might be rolling your eyes at that. I know that there's a lot of people that think the Lakers could repeat. But if they could get a piece like that, plus the coaching would be phenomenal out there. They would work on his offensive game. They've had a player in the past, Draymond Green, very talented defensively with some offensive weaknesses but like still could put out some really great offensive games for you or at least could contribute to to your offense side of the ball so to me that's the super obvious one how do you feel about the pick of him going to the spurs with popovich i don't know if that's something that's very likely to happen for but it is a franchise and it is a coaching staff that i would enjoy seeing work with isaac so 
either of those, neither of which I think are very likely to happen, would be my would be my first choices. I'll say this. I think I think the Spurs are more likely than the Warriors. As a Warriors fan, my thought on this is I would love if they stay at two and they're not making a trade for a bigger name guy, like if they're not making some blockbuster deal on uh, on Wednesday, um, stay at two and I like James Wiseman. You need a center. The fact that the Warriors could get a big man who fits the, you know, fits kind of athletically, kind of fits what they'd like to do on offense and wouldn't have to have this pressure of like, hey, go score 25 points a game, kid. Um, that would be fun. But if Coro, like I've said it, and, 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 and Bruce Pearl has made this comparison specifically, um, he reminds a lot of people of Andre Iguodala. Well, the Warriors used Andre Iguodala as like the ultimate six man during those championship runs. I think it's a perfect fit for him. Um, it would be really fun. The Spurs comparison is is also real fun. They could use more strength out on the wing. And the Kempom comparison for Okoro's freshman year by his height, his weight, his uh, the, the stats that he put up, his his year of freshman class, the the closest comparison, according to Kempom's database, is... Kawhi Leonard's freshman year at San Diego State. And they took a Kawhi Leonard, and the, the, the thought coming out of, out of college with Kawhi Leonard was very similar. Defensively, a, a freak of nature. Um, just so gifted on that end. Can slash, can finish at the rim really well. Needed to develop his jump shot a little bit more, but he had some pieces there that could, make, could be pretty good. What did the Spurs do with Kawhi Leonard? They turned him into one of the best players on the planet. Not necessarily saying that's going to happen with the Coro, but like that coaching staff, like you said, Painter, they know how to develop jumpers. Like there have been so many players that have come through the Spurs organization in the past where it's like we got them and they weren't necessarily three point shooters, and then they left as guys who could really hit from deep. Coro has been really working hard on his three point range um, during quarantine, during the lockdown, and all that because you know. There's a whole lot of things you can't really work on in basketball when you have to practice by yourself, but uh, you can shoot a lot better, you know, if you have to do all that work on your own. Um, so I think I think it's a I think that'd be a really good fit for him too. Um, we'll get into it more in the story because I want to run down kind of team by team and where where it fits. Uh, but I think anywhere where he doesn't have to be a a primary offensive threat early, if they can let him grow into his offense, but they could also use his defense and his rebounding and his effort, whether, you know, as a starter in time or maybe early off the bench. I think, it, I think anywhere would be a good fit for him. I just don't want him to kind of land into a spot where it's like, Oh, we also have a, you know, like people are talking about the Knicks, right? It's like, I don't want you to get to the, I, I personally wouldn't want to see a Coral get into a spot where he goes to the Knicks and it's like, well, we also have RJ Barrett and we also have, you know, this guy and this guy and this guy that we've tried to turn into, you know, all these Lost wings in of the we... shuffle in a franchise that hasn't made a good decision in two decades. That would be tough. That would be tough. So somewhere where there's a clearly defined role that he could come into would be fun. Um, and right. either of those teams we just mentioned would be that, and they could work on his offensive game. And no matter what he's contributing on a team that has some purpose and it's, I have no idea how good the Spurs will be this year, but you can generally expect them to not be dreadful. You cannot say that about the Knicks. You cannot say that in recent years 
about a team or an organization like the Bulls. I just want him to go somewhere where some winning will happen and they will make him a better player. They will extract all that upside that he clearly has. And even though the Spurs right now don't seem like a championship contender, you can't tell me that Popovich wouldn't get the most out of that guy. I, I 100% agree. It would be a lot of fun. That's one of my top destinations for him. And then, again, we'll get more into it in the story, and you'll check it out at our reserve tomorrow. It'll be free for everybody. Um, I think the Hawks would be a really good spot for him as well. Yeah, um, yeah, they need the defense, and then culturally and also in terms of storylines, you, you could not beat that story. Also, really dope uniforms the Hawks have gotten back this year. So um, he's going to look good. <laughs> He'd look good. You know, you look at the Spurs – Good-looking uniforms. Warriors, I think they've got over the last couple of cycles, but you know, got to look good. Um, I know our, our our friend of the newsletter, Nathan King's already excited about that that new city edition jersey of the Orlando Magic that they've gotten. Watching Chubu Kiki playing it, yeah. Some of them look really bad, but did you see the Spurs one? I have not. Have the you seen the Spurs? Recent new- here, I'm I gonna here, here. I'm gonna text it to you while we while while we do this. Um. I, I just want I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you and I want you to tell me if you can see Isaac Okoro wearing this bad boy. They went back to their their Fiesta uniforms. Oh, with the teal and the orange the, and the paint. The, oh, that that's got some good vibes written all over it, and I like the cursive they went with. A lot of times, I think people I don't I don't know what it is about cursive. I think that they choose weird fonts. This is not it. The stripe, the triple stripe with that font. Looks very nice. So I think Auburn fans will have some some good options to choose from jersey-wise if they're ready to follow a Coro. And the Magic have some good ones as well. The Knicks, eh. Hopefully Jared, <laughs> hopefully Jared Harper will, will kind of get that going there as well. We still don't know Hasn't who there been all— some good news for our guy Bryce Brown and our guy Samir Dowdy? Uh, Samir has been working was working out with some teams in Philly. I think he's going to be an— I, I don't think he gets drafted. I just don't. I, I don't think he's a he's he's a second round guy, but I think he could go kind of that Jared Harper route of being an undrafted free agent that that gets some gets a good look in summer league and you probably and maybe already saw this, up. but Jonathan Givney tweeted out that Samir among the top three point star drill percentage at the G League Combine behind Trez Tinkle, Anthony Lamb, and Xavier Simpson, and Simpson had an eighty percent as well. Uh, Dowdy did too. So Dowdy, one of the top performers in that particular drill. I feel uh, like shooting three is important in the game now. I feel like if I feel like uh, I, I feel like Samir Dowdy is a G League type of guy that has a chance to to get into a two way deal and like mm-hmm. uh, and kind of follow a similar path to Jared Harper. I like a lot about his game and his and his 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 tenacity on both ends of the floor. Uh, you know. I'm interested to see what happens with Austin Wiley. If there's going to be a team that takes a chance on a on a guy who uh, a big man who's a physically dominant player who's working to expand his game beyond you know that traditional back to the basket type of talent. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we will uh, we will keep our eye on that. We'll talk about uh, the draft and and all that on Thursday. We'll talk about it a little bit as we also will talk about Auburn football and their matchup uh, as scheduled right now with the Tennessee Volunteers. Still don't know Auburn's uh, basketball schedule yet. I was told that was going to be finalized last week, and uh, obviously it's not. So um, we're still trying to figure out who Auburn's last couple of non-conference opponents will be in basketball. However, we do know we are 
nine days away or ten days away from the time we're recording this of Auburn's opener against St. Joe's, uh, which should be a lot of fun. Next week's going to be busy. Was that? Curious to see what route they go with the rest of the non-conference schedule, given mm-hmm. that they've already taken two of the top three teams and slapped them on the uh, on the schedule. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's probably going to be home games against some teams that they can, like some kind of buy games, considering where the rest of the schedule is. But we'll right. see. We will see. Uh, I was going to say something there about about Auburn basketball, and I completely lost it. They got That's the St. Joe's game coming up. You were saying we're about a week and a half out from that. Yeah, and I think, oh, it's going to be a busy week next week at uh, AuburnObserver.com, by the way. Uh, we are going to do post-game observations for the basketball games this year. So stuff like we talked about a little bit on Thursday on the on the premium uh, podcast. Things like rotation charts, nerd stats, um, and, and some of the post-game observations that we kind of do for football. We're going to do that for basketball games as well. So it's going to be busy next week. We're going to have those from, you know, the St. Joe's game. We'll have, have – uh, from the Gonzaga game, you're going to have some from the Iron Bowl as well. So uh, it's going to be a lot of analysis and a lot of a lot of stats and a lot of good stuff heading your way next week. Uh, this week at the Observer, like I said, some NBA draft coverage, some Auburn basketball coverage, and also as we get ready, Auburn football back in action. Hopefully everybody stays safe and everybody stays uh, COVID-free, uh, not just uh, among the Auburn and Tennessee football programs, but all of you out there listening. Like we said at the beginning of the show, Every state in the country right now is pretty much a hot spot. Uh, the cases are rising uh, a lot of places across the country, and um, I know it's very, very close to the holidays, and people are really wanting to see their loved ones and, and their friends and, and family and hang out uh, with them. Um, so I'll just say this. Everybody take care of yourselves. Take care of one another, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully um, there can be a light at the end of the tunnel soon uh, with all of this, and um, hopefully – Hopefully, all you know for for the for the players and the coaches' sake, Auburn football and Auburn basketball will be able to go on as scheduled. Painter, you got anything else? Did you have an opinion about how Masters Weekend went? Uh, Dustin Johnson turning into just an absolute <laughs> machine has been has been fun to watch. He doesn't blow up nearly as much as he used to on the course, so it was a lot of fun. I didn't watch a lot of college football this weekend. I watched pretty much nothing but Masters. Um, for most of the weekend, which was, which was a pretty, pretty good thing. Um, I will, I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know if cool is the right word. Tiger shooting a 10 on, on, on that par three, but then hitting like three more birdies to wrap up the round. Dude just didn't like, he doesn't fold. Like if you can say one thing about Tiger Woods, it's just like the man will, the man will stay competitive all the way to the end. Uh, he shot his worst hole in his PGA tour career and then like finished up the round pretty well, uh, you know, after that. So, uh, that was fun. Um, I know you were upset about Bryson. Uh, Tell you, man, betting on Bryson's a is a is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Yeah, there were four that I put down. None of them came up, and I regretted two of them greatly. He was one of them. Another was a long shot odds, where it's like if this hits, great. Who was the it? other two? I felt were fine. Scotty Scheffler, you know, he let me down a little bit, but that's fine. I'll let that one go. Uh, yeah, just so a you horrific, had, horrific had decision by me to uh, to have any faith whatsoever in DeChambeau. You had Bryson, you had Scheffler. Who else did you have? How do you say his name? Cockrack? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know. It came across right. terribly when I pronounced it like that. Maybe Cockrack, but either uh-huh. way, uh, he did not make the – he got cut eventually. And yeah. uh, uh, Bubba Watson, I figured he was 
had some good rounds recently and he's won there before and he was mm-hmm. uh I think he was plus 400 to finish top 5 so it was pretty long shot. Yeah, I, I was I, I'm trying to think of you I'm trying to think of like he'd be a fun golfer for you to like be a fan of like kind of fit in your personality. I don't know. I don't know how What's much you What's the name of the young buck that recently won maybe a few weeks or even a month or two ago now that ugh, this doesn't help either cuz they've had so many good golfers, but he is young and he looks very young. I think until recently was playing at either UCLA or Stanford. Uh Colin Morikawa. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I might jump on his bandwagon. Mark Howe's fun. Um, I don't know if you watched any of it on Sunday, but Sung J M guy. Yes. <laughs> what an absolute prince. Uh, he's 22. He's been playing golf professionally since he was 17. A uh, whole lot of fun watching him. Um, and then the other one, I know Painter, it might be, it might be, uh, might not be kosher to say this on a, on an Auburn podcast, but I feel like you'd be a big JT guy, Justin Thomas. I even do though, like him. Uh, I even like though he went he, to Alabama, wearing all the polo stuff, always looking, always looking real spiffy, um, and is just like really fun to watch play golf. I'm a big fan of his. They did a piece. Did you watch it? Uh, I guess it was Game Day, where he and Saban had an interaction a few years ago. I think in the story they were doing on Game Day, they said it was while JT was being recruited to play golf at Alabama. We know Saban's a big golf guy, and. As I imagine it goes for a lot of these coaches in these relatively small towns, they probably can't find many people who want to talk about something other than football. And like apparently they've had a blossoming friendship because Saban always wants to talk golf, not football, and JT will oblige him. Uh, it was a good story, and yes, he fits in with my crowd, my type, if you will. Um, I will be interesting to see kind of in the future, uh, speaking of trying to tie it back to back to. Uh, Auburn before we go um we'll very it will be very interesting to see like moving forward if Auburn you know the success they've had in golf uh the last few seasons if that translates into some more guys getting on the PGA Tour I know everybody loved Duffner when he had his run you know of course he won uh he won a major himself um yeah I mean it's a you know Patton Kazire's had some had had a little Mm -hmm. run here uh recently where he's making some noise I'm interested to see where like a guy like Javon Rebula ends up um, you know, when he yeah, goes professional, good college golfer, extremely good college golfer. It helps. It helps when your uncle's Ernie else. Uh, and by the way, that player's name, is it Jason Kokrock? I, I, He's I don't 24th know. 24th in the PGA tour, but, uh, let me down. I, I just, I said two names earlier that I'm not sure that I said either of them correctly when trying to get his name down. Oh, he oh he was the guy who beat Xander at in uh in in Nevada. Okay, yeah, I I barely know that guy, but yeah, I can see I can see where where you probably run on that one. But to uh, your point, uh, Auburn has had some success certainly uh, at the collegiate level with this golf program. I I hope that that translates because I I am envious of Justin Thomas giving Alabama lots of free publicity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I know it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's a lot of fun to have. Georgia's got a lot of guys there. Texas has got a lot of guys there. So um, it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot of fun to see that. I know some Auburn fans would love to be able to cheer on a an Auburn golfer in the Masters again, uh, like they were able to do Duffner for a little while. All right, uh, Painter, tell the folks at home how they can uh, help out the show. If you're not already subscribing, we'd love to have you as a part of the inner circle. And as always, no matter what, you can rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, your families, your enemies about the Auburn Observer. If they're into Auburn sports, Ferg's got you covered. Plus, hey, if you're not subscribing right now, you like what it is we're doing, you get twice as many podcasts every week, as Ferg mentioned. 
Plus, we'll have more basketball stuff happening soon. And one of my favorite things about basketball season, just about always get two games a week, which is twice as much fun as one game a week. Absolutely. Two quick things before we go. Just some news items that I wanted to point out. One, uh, Texas A&M and uh, Ole Miss has already been postponed to the end of the season uh, due to stuff going on at Texas A&M with COVID protocols. And number two, in happier news, uh, Auburn alum Tim Hudson is uh, now on the Hall of Fame ballot for baseball. He just got added to the Hall of Fame ballot. Um today like just like a minute ago uh, from when we we're recording this so shout out to tim hudson uh, i don't know what his chances are to make the hall of fame uh but i think it's still cool either way that you have a have a dude uh who's on your staff right now and also one of your best players you've ever had that you can say hey people are voting on him to possibly be in the hall of fame so very cool stuff i watched Bunnyball for the first time recently good film that's a good movie it's a good movie it's a good movie good book too um, I don't know how I don't know how much I like to read um, <laughs> stuff like that, but it's a good book as well. All right, we will talk to you guys on Thursday. Painter, uh, it's hard to guard Kyler Murray and uh, Newt Hopkins. Don't let them do that. Please don't let them do that Three ever guys. again. Three guys. They had, At least he's uh, on they, my fantasy team. They almost sacked. They almost sacked Kyler twice on that play, and then he hit. He jumped over three guys. I stood up and celebrated on the second attempt after they flushed him out of the pocket. I thought that they were going to trip him up, and that was going to be the game. And they did not trip him up. And it was the game, just not how I thought it was going to be the game. Well, either way, Bills are still in a good spot. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday.